Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Hello, and welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. And I was so incredibly thrilled by the response to last week's show. So many people wrote to me to tell me uh, that what we talked about really inspired them to make a change, to shift the way they approached a relationship or how they approached a problem, or just that they were really moved and inspired, some even to the point of tears. So I decided we needed a part two on how to make change in your life. And we're even going to have another of my favorite Kobe Yamada stories later on today, another one that inspires us to change. Because really, that's what this is all about for me. That's why I devoted my life to health, because I know that without it, we don't have the energy, the vitality to live fully, to live our best life. So when I talk about things like eating well or getting sunshine, and I bring in a lot of science, which for some people is really interesting, um, but maybe for others, you know, maybe not as much, but um, it's all so that we can be healthy and be our best for ourselves, our families, our communities. I often said that I tried to be a better person and then made a career out of taking everyone with me that I could. So here we are. And I really, really would especially enjoy callers today. So if you feel inspired to talk about something we discussed last week or that we're discussing today, I'd love, love, love to talk to you. Um, Now, first of all, I do have a few extra comments, actually quite a lot um, to say about a caller that we had at the very end last week, Kristen. And we were talking about fear and how to conquer fear, or at least how to move forward in the face of fear. And we talked about how sometimes fear and courage can stand side by side. And you can't wait until the fear goes away, because it might never go away. So sometimes we need to move forward anyway. But I had so much more to say about fear. Um, So one thing is a distinction excuse me, a distinction between fright and fear. Now, this is a concept that comes from Chinese medicine. Now, believe it or not, in Chinese medicine, completely different herbs are prescribed depending on whether it's fright or fear. And we use different meridians or electrical circuits in the body to treat them because they trigger really different biological mechanisms. So let's talk about that. Fright is when we feel that there's some kind of immediate danger, when the danger is known and it's right there with us. Fear is much more vague. It's what we feel for things that we can't see, the intangible, maybe something even triggered from our past, maybe a past trauma. So for example, if we're camping and we wake up in the middle of the night and something is slithering in our sleeping bag, What we feel then is fright. There is something there, and it might be about to bite us. But if you're on the 20th floor of a New York City apartment building, and you're laying awake wondering if there might be a snake somewhere, when there is pretty much no chance at all that 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 is true, that's more fear. That's fear of the unknown, the the intangible, maybe something out of our memory and experience. So in the case of our caller, it was really easy to hear that she wasn't frightened in the moment. There was no immediate danger. If there were a danger, she wouldn't be calling me. She'd be calling 911. So what she was experiencing truly was fear. And that's an important distinction because some people do actually live in fright. Maybe someone in an abusive relationship, for example. And that distinction is important because we don't ever want to override fright. Fright is our friend. It gets the adrenaline going. It gets our heart pumping blood to our limbs 
so we can fight or we can run. Fright tells us that we need to fix something and fix it now. We want to act on it and we want to do it as quickly as we possibly can. Fear is different. It can linger for years and it can hang over us and keep us frozen, which is the opposite of fright. It can prevent us from acting. It can keep us in the bigger picture from trying new things. It can eat away at our confidence and it can keep us from trusting. It can hold our lives in a tiny box, a prison of our own making, a prison of our own mind. And in this case, it's important, it's helpful to override our mind and have the courage to move forward anyway. And that's where fear and courage stand side by side. We do want to override that feeling. Now, another aspect is that all emotions have both a positive and a negative side to them. Hurt and anger tell us when we've been wrong. Hopefully, we can deal with it in a healthy and appropriate way. Frustration tells us that there's an an obstacle that we need to overcome, that we need to be creative, and that we need to find a solution for. Worry can help focus our mind on a solution to a problem. Loneliness might tell us that there's something missing in our lives and might cause us to move forward and act on that. Guilt might tell us that we've stepped outside of the boundaries of our own moral code, that there's something within ourselves we don't feel good about and that we want to change. And shame is slightly different, means we've stepped out of the the society's morality in ways that we agree with and we respect, um, but we seem to have done it anyway, and we might want to take action and change. Now, grief is a hard one because it tells us we've lost something important, that there's a need inside of us that isn't being filled, and hopefully that motivates us to seek out the things we're missing. Now, I understand that some things we grieve for can never be replaced, such as a person that we've lost. And I fully acknowledge that that's so. But perhaps that grief, that feeling can motivate us to move forward and at some point use that grief for something positive. So seeing the positive side of emotions is at the core of emotional intelligence. We can we can look at fear and other emotions from the perspective of a psychologist named Abraham Maslow. Now, he put these theories forth about 80 years ago, and they're a core theory in like every Psych 101 course. It's that important. So he put forth a pyramid that's called the hierarchy of needs. And it looks a lot like pictures you've seen of the food pyramid. And uh, I'm going to post a picture of it and you can, you can feel free to search on, on Maslow's theory. Um, now at the bottom of this pyramid, which takes up the most space at the bottom, um, are our physiological needs. The idea that if our basic needs like food and sleep aren't met, we really can't think about anything else. And if you've ever been truly hungry, where you weren't able to get food, you weren't able to eat, you know what I mean. Now, I really didn't have Maslow in mind when we did our first show on being human, but I did start there for a reason. And it's the same reason that Maslow puts this as the foundation of his pyramid. Until these basic needs as a human being are met, we can't move forward with anything meaningful. Now, the next layer up on the pyramid is safety and security. This is the layer where fear resides. This is home, finances, job, trust. Can we provide this for ourselves and our family? Again, if you don't have these things, you can't go higher in the emotional pyramid. And it's also easy to drop down a layer and not have our physiological needs met. Now, the next layer up is love, family, friendship, 
a sense of belonging and connection. This is what gives life meaning. But it's also rooted in the layers below. Without our tribe, are we safe and secure? Will we have enough food? Can we sleep at night feeling safe without someone to watch over us? Now, as we continue on up in the pyramid, our next layer is self-worth, achievement, respect, the approval from self or others. Again, here, the layer below supports what is above. If we don't have a good foundation of being loved, how can we have a sense of self-worth? How can we have self-respect? How can we have the kind of relationships that sustain self-worth? Can we trust other people? And if we don't, will someone be there for us in our time of need? Now, as we well know, this often begins in childhood. And people who haven't had a good foundation in self-love, you know, it's well known that things in life are harder. Um, but we can, we can make that grow. We can build that. We can heal that in ourselves. Now, the top of the pyramid is where we went together last week with our Kobe Yamada story. Self-actualization, creativity, morality, a sense of purpose, and inner meaning, the big picture. And that's why so many of you wrote in to say you were moved, because this is the very pinnacle of the pyramid. We want to ask, what is our legacy in the world? Why were we born with our unique combination of circumstances, talents, and challenges as well? So what Maslow suggested, and what I'm suggesting here, is that we cannot reach the potential of our self-purpose unless we've climbed all the steps of the pyramid. We need to have our physical needs met. We need to sleep and eat. We need, and we need to do that well. We really need to nourish our brains until, they're, until our brains are fully satisfied. Otherwise, we're always distracted, always hungering on some level. And we need to have security, not to live paycheck to paycheck or to live with food insecurity, as many people in our country do. And we need real community, not just Instagram friendships. We need people and laughter and fun, not just likes on a screen on social media. We need people we can rely on, that we can trust, and that we can use to move our lives forward. Um, I don't mean use. I mean people who will support us. <laughs> um, we need respect and accomplishment. That's the next the feeling that we're building something, that we're moving our lives forward and not just running on a hamster wheel getting nowhere, which a lot of people do feel. Those are the keys to deep meaning in the world. And that's difficult to come by in our society. The United States is different than almost any country in the world. I don't know of anywhere else that people spend 10 to 20 years paying off their education then 30 years buying a house, if they're lucky, and then they need to sell their house to pay for medical expenses or for the privilege of growing old. And then there's nothing left for their children to inherit, and the cycle perpetuates. And we think this is the state of the world, but it's really not. It's the state of our society and the way we've structured it. And we have to, we have to move past that. Um, we're not in a society that supports creativity. It's not a society that supports morality. Um, it, it's not one that supports a fulfilling life. We cannot lose sight of the value of that. And I call that an imperative. We must, must have that. And we need to find our way back to that as a society, that sense of purpose is something that we sometimes forget, but we have to remember. We have to hold the spark and make our lives magic. And I think we got a taste of that last week, and I think that's what everyone responded to. Now, here's a quote, and I don't know the author. It was just something I saw on social media, 
but I wanted to share it with you. Um, I thought of it when I was talking to Kristen, but I couldn't pull it out fast enough. And it goes like this. I hope you find the courage to change your life in the small ways, in the big ways, in every way that matters. I hope you do not end this story with a heart full of regrets. I hope you do not spend your years just waiting for your new life to begin. I hope you realize that this is not the practice run. This is not the preview. This is it. There is nothing to do but leap. There's nothing to do but allow yourself to exist as boldly and honestly as you can. You'll think you have forever, but you do not. It all happens and it all happens quickly. You are not waiting on another person or the right timing or for everything to fall into place. You're waiting to feel ready enough to exist within the questions, to not need every answer, and to know that this life does not come to us to be perfectly understood, but to be fully experienced in every direction we can possibly reach. We're going to take a break here. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Hi, welcome back. So we're continuing our conversation about making change in your life. Now, I mentioned earlier about emotional intelligence, and this is a really big topic, um, and we could talk about it in many ways. It's a really hugely useful skill. There's a saying that people don't always remember the details of what happened in a situation, but they do remember how they felt about it. So think back in your life to something that happened a long time ago. Maybe it was a falling out you had with someone. Or maybe it was something positive, a really special, happy experience. The details of what happened so long ago may have gotten fuzzy over time, but you often remember that hurt or that joy. And that's the importance of that emotional kernel. Emotional intelligence is the ability to perceive, to understand, and to regulate emotions, both in ourselves and with others. And by regulate, I don't mean manipulate. There's nothing intelligent about that. What I mean is finding balance to not be so reactive and to not trigger emotions in other people inappropriately. 
Now, no doubt, some people are naturally better at this than others, but it is a skill that can be learned. And the more we study it, the more we practice it, um, the better at it we get. And there are whole schools and training programs that have evolved around these practices. Now, the first step is reading emotions, and that means understanding the subtleties. Are we angry? Or maybe it's a little more refined. Maybe we're really morally indignant. We can feel angry because someone has overridden our boundaries, but it takes on a different nuance when it's a physical boundary. Maybe someone stole from us, for example, but it's very different when they've crossed a moral boundary. Maybe someone cheated on us or offended us in some deep way. In moral indignation, it has a whole different flavor. We're right because we have a right to be right, and we're on the side of rightness. Oh, and that takes on a whole different meaning for us inside. It's a whole lot harder to get over it if we don't recognize what's going on on that deep level. Now, if you do a search on emotional wheel, emotion wheel, you'll see a whole bunch of different images that come up. And I'll post one version, but there are many. What's cool about it, though, is that you'll see in the inner circle of the wheel, there are just a few core emotions like anger, sadness, loneliness. But then we go to the next level out in the circle, and these emotions are split into different subtleties. Anger might become indignation or frustration, even bitterness. Loneliness might show up as abandonment or a feeling of exclusion or the sense of distance, or even we might start to feel in our own hearts coldness. As we go out a third level on the wheel, then the emotions can be broken down even further. Now, However the different versions are organized, it's interesting to look at all the emotions and take time to think about what the different variations mean. Because the more you understand, the more you can perceive in yourself and others. The more empathy you can feel for other people and the more successful you can be in dealing with the subtleties in your own relationships. So after we come to understand these emotions better, we can work on our perception, on the social cues. And for this, I love the acronym that comes from emotional intelligence circles. And that acronym is ALOHA. And it's such a great choice because in Hawaiian, ALOHA is a greeting. It's a way of welcoming someone and bringing them into your circle. And it also means fellowship and love. So let's use aloha to think about the process. A stands for ask. We ask ourselves, we ask others. What do we need to know in the situation? Sometimes we don't even know what it is that we don't know. So we want to really take the time, stop and deeply ask. L is listen and learn. How can I think about the situation differently? And how can I change my perspective? How can I see it from the other person's point of view? O is observe. What can we see in people's faces? How can that help us to read between the lines? What can we observe about the situation? What can we learn that isn't being said? H is heal. Heal ourselves, heal the situation, heal the relationship. And this is huge and really infinite. How can I grow? How can I turn this into a win-win situation? Creating win-win situations is one of the most valuable things we can do to heal our relationships. And we'll do a whole show on it sometime in the future. I even teach a whole seminar in that. Heal can happen in so many ways. And it's the most important step because we don't want to just keep opening up our emotions if they don't go anywhere, especially if they're painful. That, that does nothing but really hurts us and the people that we're interacting with. Heal is the reason for all the rest of it. 
And the second A, the last day in aloha, is again, we repeat the process until the situation is solved. We repeat the process really always in life. Now, I love this because it's an endless circle. And as we continue it, we grow in our understanding, in our peace of mind, in our relationships, in our humanity. And we can spend more time exploring all of these in the future because the perspectives on this are as infinite as as we are as human beings. Now, in the context of emotions, I also want to make special mention of men um, because our society still really doesn't allow men to have emotions, at least any emotions except for perhaps anger and happiness. And that happiness is usually about success and achievement. Now, I know this is a really broad stereotype and it doesn't apply to everyone. And some women are in this category too. So, you know, I mean, but it, but it is, it is something that society sees as a weakness in men. So, um, what happens with men oftentimes is because they're only allowed anger and happiness, they feel like they have to put on this happy face. And then it just boils up and boils up until the anger just becomes excessive. And that's not realistic and it's not human. So that's why I've, I've seen a lot of men descend into addiction and it is often really from the most sensitive men around because they've worked so hard to suppress their emotions, the emotions that they have no outlet for, and they push them down with alcohol and drugs. And then sometimes they'll land in a 12-step program and they finally get to do a deep dive inventory of their emotions. And that's great that they get to do it. These programs have a lot to offer and they save lives. But the Inventory is done in the context of like, look at what you've done wrong. Now go make amends and set it right, which again is a great thing to do. But why did it have to get to that point? Why weren't they allowed to have emotions in the first place? Why weren't they allowed to be human? And again, it's not all men and there are women in this category. So let's think broadly about people who who aren't allowed to express themselves or don't feel that they can express themselves. Now, society teaches us that emotions are weak and that we need to be strong, as though somehow strong is better. Now, that evolved in a way in society because strong could overpower weak. But we need the full diversity of human experience. We need the people who are strong enough to survive anything. But we also need the people who are sensitive enough to detect when there's a problem because they can help the group know when a problem exists. They can sense danger more quickly and they can show, for example, when the world has become too toxic and unhealthy. And we're seeing that a lot these days in our current environment. For these people, their sensitivity is their strength. The subtle changes in direction can make a huge difference. You know, for example, if you're on a long hike, you could change your direction just a few degrees on your compass, but over time you'll end up in a completely different place. Or any architect or builder can tell you if you need to get your angles just right, because even if you're a degree or two off, as you build those walls, if you build those buildings, they might not build up, meet up, and your whole building can collapse. So small, tiny, minute changes carried over time, carried over distance, alters the course of everything. So again, subtlety is a strength. The refinement of those changes in direction are a strength, not a weakness. So we don't need to see emotions as weak. Oftentimes, people feel that they have to suppress themselves, that they're not allowed to cry, which is tears are just a basic physiological function. Now, do you know what happens when we cry? 
our brain is releasing all kinds of chemicals in our tears. There's actually a chemical in tears that's an opioid. It helps pain, both physical and emotional pain. There's a hormone, prolactin, that actually protects our brain cells and helps them regenerate. It helps us stamp down stress and our fight or flight response. So tears are completely natural. They're a chemical response. They're a human response. And here's something amazing. We're talking about men. When they do studies on prolactin, it's almost always on women. They barely even recognize prolactin in men. Tears also have a form of adrenal hormone. So tears are the brain's way of saying, I'm building up too much stress and I need to let some out. When anyone suppresses their emotions, the stress builds up inside of them and has real physical effects that end up having to come out in other ways. So the next time you're feeling it, let it flow. Your brain will appreciate it. Because we're never guaranteed a pain-free life. We're meant to step out of our comfort zone and grow. We're meant to feel deeply. So let the tears flow and they must. Because if we don't push the boundaries, life stays very small. In fact, it even tends to get smaller as time goes by. It tends to contract us because we limit our options and one opportunity gone by means fewer opportunities are likely to come our way. We're never guaranteed a pain-free life. I've worked with a lot of people in the tech industry and there's a lot of affluence. Sometimes there are people who seem to have it all from the outside, but I've never seen a person that does have it all. It's not the curriculum of life to live in a perfect bubble. Every person that you see has some struggle, even if you can't see it on the surface. Maybe they seem to have it all, but they might have a physical pain that won't go away, or they have a challenging family situation. Or if people really haven't had any real challenges, maybe they have spoiled children that make their lives miserable, or maybe they just have a deep sense of boredom and feel that life is meaningless and that it's a life without joy. So take the hard things as best as you can, grow, learn, feel it all, and most of all, as we said last week, if you fall down 10 times, stand up 11. Now, being able to integrate the emotional aspect into any situation is powerful. Emotion is universal. It's a bond between all of us, and it brings all human beings together, no matter our backgrounds. It's why 10,000 people can show up to listen to a favorite musician. We love how that music feels. Or why we all head to the beach on a sunny day. We love how that sunshine feels. It, it's our it's, it's a common emotion. It's a, it's, it's a common human experience. And it can bring us together when things are hard, too. It's why we set aside our differences in times of tragedy, why feuding family members might come together when someone in the family dies, or when communities will step up to feed anyone who shows up in a disaster. We all have the same feelings, and hopefully our empathy will bridge our differences. The universality of human emotion is such a powerful thing. There's a great book by John Koenig. It has a rather unappealing title, but it really is a great book. It's called The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. And I promise you, it's not about sadness. As he says in his introduction, it's about the aches, demons, vibes, joys, and urges that, hum, that is humming in the background of everyday life. Now, what he's done is to collect all kinds of unusual emotions from different cultures around the world, and it's so fun. There's, for example, plata rasa, the calm feeling you get when you hear a lulling, constant, repetitive sound like ocean waves. Or chrysalism. The happy feeling you get when you're warm and cozy, wrapped in a blanket with your hot drink, while outside there's a thunderstorm. 
You might add that to the feeling of loosed lev, the feeling you get when you have finished a really great book and you feel a sense of loss that you don't get to be with those characters anymore in that world. Maybe sometimes you might feel Trumspringa, the, the longing to wander away from your career and your life to pursue a simpler time. Imagining living off the land or going to a deserted island and allowing that diversion in your thoughts to give you enough of a break in your day that you're able to continue working in your cubicle. Maybe you feel slip fast, a longing to disappear completely, to melt into a crowd and become invisible so you can observe the world without participating and feel free to wander without footprints. What I love about this book is that when we realize something has a name, we realize that other people feel it too. And that's such a beautiful thing when we realize our common humanity. And I hope that that commonality can help bridge our differences, because that's the only way we're going to survive in this world with 8 billion of us. So maybe it will give us the poignant sense of sonder, the feeling that everyone you see, everyone in the world, has their own complex life. They wake up in the morning and look in the mirror at their same face, just as you. They have the same routines the same hopes, the same heartaches, and I hope that sense of sonder brings us all a little closer. Let's take another break. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. And now that we are inspired to change and we have all these insights into our feelings and and we know we want to move forward and we want to get to that self-actualization, what do we do with it? So I promised you another Kobe Yamada story and here's one of my favorites. This story is called, What Do You Do With an Idea? And I just love this children's story and the illustrations by Mae Bissum are absolutely adorable. The idea in the story is pictured as a little ball with duck feet. It's just a ball pattering around on its duck feet. It's really charming. So with that visual, here's our story. 
One day, I had an idea. Where did it come from? Why is it here? I wondered, what do you do with an idea? At first, I didn't think much of it. It seemed kind of strange and fragile. I didn't know what to do with it. So I just walked away from it. I acted as though it didn't belong to me. But it followed me. I worried what other people would think. What would people say about my idea? I kept it to myself. I hid it away and I didn't talk about it. I tried to act as though everything was the same as it was before my idea showed up. But there was something magical about my idea. I had to admit, I felt better and happier when it was around. It wanted food. It wanted to play. It wanted a lot of attention. And it grew bigger. We became friends. I showed it to other people, even though I was afraid of what they would say. I was afraid that if people saw it, they would laugh at it. They would laugh at me. I was afraid they would think it was silly. And many of them did. They said it was no good. They said it was weird. They said it was a waste of time and it would never become anything. And at first, I believed them. I actually thought about giving up on my idea. I almost listened to them. But then I realized, what do they really know? This is my idea. No one knows it like I do. And it's okay if it's different and weird and maybe a little crazy. I decided to protect it and care for it. I fed it good food. I played with it. But most of all, I gave it my my attention. My idea grew and grew, and so did my love for it. I built it a new house, one with an open roof where it could look at the stars, a place where it could be safe to dream. I liked being with my idea. It made me feel more alive, like I could do anything. It encouraged me to think big and then to think even bigger. It shared its secrets with me. One day, my idea even showed me how to walk on my hands. Because it's good to have the ability to see the world differently, it said. Soon, I couldn't imagine my life without it. Then one day, something amazing happened. My idea changed right before my eyes. It spread its wings, took flight, and burst into the sky. I don't know how to describe it, but it went from being here to being everywhere. It wasn't just a part of me anymore. Oh, I'm getting choked up. (laughs) It was a part of everything. And then I realized what you do with an idea You change the world. I just love that. And I am actually choked up, even though I have read that many times. (laughs) So for some people, changing the world happens in big ways, as we've said. But most of the time, it's changing in smaller ways, changing our community, changing our family. Maybe it's changing the world for just one person, whatever it means for you. Whatever your legacy in this world, it starts with an idea. And then it means believing in yourself. As Maslow said, we really can't do much without, with our, we can't do much with our ideas until we take care of all the layers of the pyramids first. It's nourishing ourselves from the ground up in the ways that matter. So when we take a look at that pyramid, it's to support our ideas and move them out into the world. We, if we don't have that foundation, we can lose ourselves along the way. 
If you're not eating well, if your brain isn't nourished, if you're not sleeping, you can't bring your ideas forth. So start looking at that in small, manageable, realistic ways. We don't suddenly become perfect people, but hopefully in the last few weeks, I've offered you at least some tools in this area and we'll do a lot, lot more to come. If you're living in fear, if you're living in survival mode, your great idea isn't what you're thinking about. Start looking at that area of your life. There might be some big, hard choices to be making. But if you can take the time, look at what you can do. And if you don't have a good network of people providing their energy and their diverse talents and perspective, it's hard to make your idea grow. And a network of people takes time. It doesn't happen right away. It's something that builds over time. But I do know that the most successful people that I know got to where they are by building teams, sharing ideas, and sharing strengths. We need to progress. We need that sense of validation. We need the sense of accomplishment and confidence that's the next layer of the pyramid that gives us the ability to move forward. Otherwise, it's hard to sustain momentum. Sometimes ideas are easy, but it's what we do with them that makes all the difference in life. Someone I know who actually has changed the world in an amazing way with a project that's reached over 100 million people in almost every country in the world once said to me, sure, sometimes it's about the next big idea, and sometimes it's just about doing the work. So for that, structures are important. One of the things that I personally do is that I have talks scheduled with two different friends every week. We, we talk at the same time, and they help me keep on track. One is a work friend who understands what I do professionally. We write down our intentions for the week and send it to each other, what we did accomplish, what we didn't from the previous week, and what obstacles we're feeling. And we talk out those obstacles. And it really sometimes just makes such a difference in moving it forward. That's the community aspect. Sometimes the obstacles are time or logistics, or maybe we're wrapping ourselves around a challenging problem, but sometimes it's also just the feelings we're having about the situation, and it's nice to talk it out. I do the same with a personal friend, and this is someone who knows me well and that I can really share the deep stuff when I need to, the stuff, for example, that I feel like I'm failing at, the things that are behind the masks that we always show to the world. And it's important to have someone in our lives like that, because for me, it helps me to face the very hardest, hardest things. And these are talks that I have regularly. I like having that regular check-in. Now, I also use New Year's in the same way. Now, oftentimes we... We make a bunch of resolutions and we go get drunk and then the next day or soon afterward, we go back to our regular lives. But I like to borrow from the culture of Chinese New Year. Traditionally, before the New Year, they clean the house top to bottom, but more importantly, they try to tie up any unfinished business. They pay debts, they untangle any gnarly relationships, things like that. Now, the nice thing about Chinese New Year is it usually comes in late January or February, so I always feel like I have a few extra weeks after January 1st to get it all done. And personally, I always need more time, but I just love that tradition, and it's something that that I try to do and do it often. Um, So to be realistic, when we have an idea, we have to say, will it work? We'll try to learn from the best people look at it objectively, but if you really believe in your idea, take the leap. Now, I know that change is not an easy thing. Sometimes change comes from an insight. It changes from a single change of your mind. But sometimes changes are hard and involved, and they may seem out of reach based on our current circumstances. Now, I, I think of a, a, a 
family story that my parents had told me. And um, this happened when my uh, in my family when my dad got a small inheritance and he thought about going back to school to change careers. Now, he was worried about his family responsibilities and going back to school at night after work just felt overwhelming. And he said to my mom, but it's going to take me five years. I'm going to be 46 years old. And my mother, without missing a beat, turned to him and said, and how old are you going to be in five years if you don't go back to school? Well, my dad did get his master's degree, and it completely changed our lives and the lives of our family. So creating structure, creating new systems, changing your identity, changing your life is something that you might do today. And sometimes it's the five-year plan, but at least you can start today. So I want to finish with this quote today um, by um, Albert Camus, because I, I think it's just so beautiful and so important. And I hope that it inspires you to move forward and make the changes that you need to make and to find that inner strength. So it goes like this. In the midst of hate, I found myself with an invincible love. In the midst of tears, I found there was within me an invincible smile. In the midst of chaos, I found there was within me an invincible calm. And I realized through it all that in the midst of winter, there was within me an invincible summer. And that makes me happy. For it says that no matter how hard the world pushes against me, within me, there's something even stronger, something better, pushing right back. That's our show for today. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. And thank you for the privilege of talking with you today. For tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration. 